You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Our current serial is Musketeer Space. Chapter 30. In the Cellar of the Gilded Lily. You're wearing my jacket, Athos observed, as Dana picked slivers of glass out of his shaking hand by lantern light. They had to get out of his cellar. Athos had drunk enough of the Gilded Lily's print stock of wine and brandy to poison him. Dana felt half-poisoned herself, even if the bottle they had shared most recently was of exceptional quality. Right now, she was trying to make sure he did not bleed too badly. Gauze strips in the inner pocket, Athos added, which was lucid of him. Why are you wearing my clothes, D'Artagnan? Chances were high he'd never remember this conversation. I missed my friends. Shut up. He laughed softly. I hate you, she told him, as is only right and proper. Dana made a huffing sound. You are the king of self-pity. I wasn't the one complaining that the cardinal's mysterious secret agent and or political adviser kidnapped my boyfriend before I got a chance to jump his bones. That is not how I phrased it at all, she said, smacking a gauze strip over Athos's cut much harder than was necessary. Ow. Time to sober you up. She brought out her trump card, a sobriety patch she had tucked into one of the many useful pockets in this jacket. Athos's eyes widened as he saw it. Fuck no. I've been working on this bender for most of the week, D'Artagnan. You wouldn't be so cruel. Come outside with me now, and I won't sober you up until we're off planet. This is my final offer. Never mind his tragic past. Removing him from this cellar had to be her priority. Athos gave her a searching look. Open another bottle, and I'll tell you the worst story you've ever heard. Dana refused to give in to temptation. Athos, another bottle might kill you. Half a bottle, I'll share. Half a bottle might kill me. His blue eyes was so very intense in the dim light. I told you that I murdered the man I loved, and you don't want any more details. Why not Brandy? Dana whispered. She was dirt. Curious, weak, dirt. Athos reached out without looking, his hand closing around the neck of a new wine bottle. I'm sure the landlord won't mind. He's going to call the local militia if we don't pay your tab. Dana let him unseal the bottle. Start talking or I'll break that one too. Athos took a long, steady swallow and wiped his wet mouth with his unbandaged hand. There was a comte who lived in the far north of this continent who fell in love, he said, which was the first stupid thing but they were young, and stupidity was his elemental privilege. They were students together at the university, and they were going to change the world. Students of what? Dana asked. She took the bottle off him and tasted the wine. 
It mixed badly with the brandy already sloshing around in her stomach. Philosophy, politics, if you could get a degree in being wide-eyed and idealistic, those two young idiots would have signed up without a second thought. The Comte was a new aristocrat through and through. He wasn't supposed to have a purpose, beyond keeping his lands from burning down around him. And solving the disputes of his province, that had been the fleet's excuse for not allowing him to sign up for service when he came of age, during the war against the sun-kissed. An excuse he had accepted all too readily. But now he wanted more, Dana prodded. Because love, said Athos. That word had never been spoken with such venom in the history of the solar system. I'm sensing this story doesn't end well. Oh, you think? He paused, his breaths slow and steady. The second stupid thing the Comte did was to marry his lover after university. They were on fire together, determined to use the power and privilege of the new aristocracy for something good. The war was over, and the Valor government had played lapdog to the crown during the conflict in exchange for keeping their brightest and best out of the war. His head drooped for a moment, and Dana thought he had nodded off. There might have been poetry. She almost laughed at the sheepish, despairing way Athos said that. He needs to tell someone, she insisted, at the spark of guilt that she was taking advantage of his drunken state. Poetry, she repeated. It's traditional in love affairs. Athos said so pompous that it was all too believable that he had once been a baby-faced, politically charged new aristocrat who ruled a province rather than a drunken musketeer who couldn't fly his ship without chemical assistance. Poetry, philosophy, politics and love, Dana said lightly. A heady cocktail. Athos nodded grimly. For a happy marriage. Right up to the point that the Comte's husband fell ill. He contracted a midwinter fever that no medipatch could cure. A burning fever that lasted for three days and nights. During that time, he spoke of secrets. Awful secrets. And that was how the Comte learned that his husband was a fraud. He had spent all that time thinking himself deliriously happy. But here was genuine delirium and the cruel truth. What truth? Dana whispered. He was so fucking beautiful. Pale skin like moonlight, that hair. I never saw how false he was until it was all too late. Athos tipped the bottle up to his mouth and Dana let him take a drink before she reclaimed it. Why was it too late? Athos matched her question with another. What do you know about the sun-kissed? Hardly the time for a history lesson, but she went along with it. They're ruthless, alien, 
they hide in plain sight because... The words faded on her tongue. Dana stared at her friend in horror, suddenly realising how this story fit together with the other story, the one he had told her when they were crashing and burning. No. They hide in plain sight because they can look like us. They can look like any fucking thing they want. But after three days of fever, of genuine illness, he couldn't hold on to the transformation any longer. So the comte's beautiful husband rolled over in the sheets, and his skin turned dark red like he was sunburned, and the war tattoos spilled across his back line by line, and light poured out of his eyes and mouth, and it turned out that it didn't matter that we thought the war was over and that valour had made it through untouched. The sun-kissed were still among us, hiding spies in plain sight. Placing them near people they thought could be of use. Athos was bitter and tired, and Dana wanted to take all the hurt away from him. She had not imagined something as awful as this. She was sick at the thought of it of discovering you'd shared a bed with an alien and an enemy, of being deceived so vilely. She could guess how the story ended. Athos had already told her that part. The Comte executed his husband personally? There was only one way to ensure that a sun kissed was dead. Dana knew from school. She'd been twelve years old when the war ended, and it had all seemed so theoretical. You take their head, you burn the remains. It was his duty, said Athos, closing his eyes and leaning back against the nearest barrel. Damn, he added. That's good wine, that one. Too drunk to do it justice. We should take a bottle or two when we leave. We should go in, said Porthos bouncing impatiently on the soles of her boots. She and Aramis had waited outside the tavern for over an hour. A little while earlier, Grimaud had emerged into the late afternoon sunshine, with damp hair and sonic scrubbed clothes. Aramis made a token payment towards the landlord's exorbitant bill with the last of the credit they had, and pledged Amaral Treville to cover the rest. They sent Grimaud back to the Hoyden and the Morning Star, with Bonnie and Planchet, to file the flight plans and ready the ships for the long trip home. Give them a little longer, said Aramis. We don't know what state he's in. Dana's a puppy. She doesn't know what she's up against. Porthos had seen Athos at his ordinary worst a hundred times or more, but his rock bottom was something she'd only glimpsed twice, and had hoped to never see again. Aramis squeezed Porthos's shoulder. She's not that young. It's good for him to have someone other than you and me to pick him out of the gutter from time to time. With Dana, he might manage to summon some pride. Porthos gave her a filthy look. That's not fair on her. He's her hero. And today, she gets to find out that he's human, Aramis said serenely. It'll be good for both of them.
I hate when you're spiritually calm, Porthos muttered. Aramis gave her a gentle hug. Isn't it nice, though, just a little, to share him? He's not a food parcel. My shoulders are feeling lighter. Probably the love letter burning a hole in your pocket. Could be, Aramis smirked. The door to the gilded lily opened. Athos walked out, blinking in the light of the sun. It came in at a piercing angle, about to descend into the mountains beyond Amiens. Athos looked rough. His beard back to the long, untended horror it had been before Aramis last got her hands on him with a sonar clipper. He'd lost some weight, probably from drinking too many meals, and he was unsteady on his feet. He carried Dana, slung over his shoulder like a dead weight. Kid can't hold her drink, he muttered as he approached them. Porthos wanted to hug him, but she feared any sudden movements would pitch them all onto the historically authentic cobblestones at their feet. Credits covered, she informed him. Grimaud gave the landlord an approximation of the damage in the cellar. Let's get moving, before he discovers how much she was underplaying my consumption, said Athos. The three of them walked down the street together, falling into step as they always did. Can I claim a favour? Athos asked after a long moment. Try us, said Aramis. Wait until we're in orbit before you attack me with that sobriety patch D'Artagnan has in her pocket. I don't want to be sober on this planet. Aramis and Porthos exchanged a glance. Fine, said Porthos, but if you throw up in my beautiful ship, I will toss you out an airlock. Athos winced as they turned a corner, and that setting sun pierced his vision again. Didn't know being thrown out an airlock was on the table. That's actually my preferred option. Aramis squeezed his arm. Do you want us to get what's left of the Paris repost out of Hock before we go? Athos shifted slightly, preventing Dana from sliding off his shoulder. She moaned as his arm bumped against her stomach. No, sometimes you have to leave rubble behind and start over. Porthos bumped against his other side, the side holding Dana, with her hip. Sounds like good advice, Athos. Maybe you should take it some day. Bite me, Porthos. The musketeers and Dana allowed the Engies to pilot the Hoyden and the Morningstar back to Paris. Planchet was sent on the Morningstar to practice astro-navigation with Bazin, and Bonnie took the helm and harness of the Hoyden, with Grimaud snoozing in the jump seat beside her. Dana woke up four hours out of Mewing Station, pressed against the wall in Porthos's bunk. A sobriety patch burned a perfect triangle into her right shoulder. Aramis sat beside Dana, her long legs tangling with those of Athos, who was propped up comfortably against the other end of the bunk reading from a tablet, with Porthos tucked under his arm. There were three sobriety patches visible 
along the length of Athos's neck. "'I can't believe we all fit in one bed,' Dana said, as she yawned herself awake. Her own feet were pressed against Porthos's knees. Aramis elbowed her. "'Economy of space is the most important skill we have as a species,' she said, quoting a long-ago prophet who had taken their people to the stars. "'This bunk is larger than regulation,' added Athos. "'I like to be comfortable,' said Porthos defensively. "'No complaints here.' he said with a quirk of his mouth, and head-butted her gently. She poked him in the ribs with a finger. Dana pulled herself upright, sitting with the wall behind her. This is nice, she said. She wanted to grin stupidly at all three of them, but she settled for letting her head fall onto Aramis's shoulder so she could doze again. When Dana awoke the next time, Athos and Aramis were no longer there. Porthos sprawled out at the end of the bunk, watching a Sankafoil game on the same tablet Athos had been reading from earlier. Checking on Grimaud's injuries, Porthos yawned before Dana gave any indication she was awake. Or rather, Aramis is checking on her injuries, and Athos is being... Extra sarcastic, so he can pretend he's not fussing over his Engie like a mother hen. Dana grinned at that. He's protective. Oh, honey, you have no idea. Porthos muted her game, laying the tablet aside. It was bad down there, huh? She meant the cellar, of course. Dana frowned. I've never seen him like that. Not many do. He was so lost. Is he that unhappy all the time? Pretty much, Porthos sighed. He hides it well, too well most days. She flicked a curious expression at Dana. You're burning to ask questions. I wouldn't if I were you. No questions, Dana muttered, looking away. She had enough of Athos's secrets now. She didn't need more of them. Oh, Porthos breathed. Well, that's new. What are you talking about? He told you, didn't he? About his husband. That earned a startled glance from Dana. What? She double-checked that the door to the flight deck was firmly closed. He said you didn't know. Porthos looked guilty and sad. I found out on a very bad day, she admitted. He was out of it. He doesn't remember telling me. Aramis knows too, the shape of it at least. Dana was relieved. She was not cut out to be anyone's support person. Least of all the complex bag of angry spiky space weapons that was Athos's inner turmoil. How much do you know? she asked finally. She wasn't going to assume all Athos's secrets were fair game, because Porthos had an excellent poker face. Porthos tilted her head at Dana, regarding her. I know his husband is dead. He blames himself. Sometimes he's so eaten up about it, he sabotages everything good in his life. Dana nodded at that, 
thinking of the business with the Nexus. Athos was a brilliant pilot, but he didn't trust himself. Except you, she said after a moment. You and Aramis. Having you as friends, it's the best thing he has. Porthos laughed, not an overly cheerful laugh, but deep and honest. Believe me, he has sabotaged that plenty of times. We won't let him go, though. She leaned in and scritched Dana's short buzz of hair on her scalp, as if she was a puppy dog. If you know as much as I do about the husband and the deep dark misery and all that, I'm impressed. It's not, Dana said awkwardly, because she knew more, a lot more than Porthos was saying. She was the one Athos had chosen to trust with the complete truth about his husband. I was there when he needed to talk. Ha! said Porthos. Athos has been needing to talk as long as I've known him. But he doesn't let himself, not about things that matter. Telling you his secret, that's important, Dana. Hold on to that. Athos's voice called harshly through the doorway. D'Artagnan, Porthos, get in here now. For a moment, Dana was embarrassed. Did he realise they'd been gossiping about him? As she entered the flight deck, all thoughts of Athos and his angsty past bled away. Fast. Aramis, closest to the doorway, reached out and caught Dana's hand, squeezing it gently with her own. Everyone, even Bonnie, who had slipped the hoyden into autopilot, stood watching the enlarged media screen on the inside of the hatchway. It was the beginning of a press conference. The regents stood behind a podium, speaking in her clear, confident voice. In the background, Dana could see Prince Alec and the Cardinal, standing much closer together than usual, grave and united. These recent attacks on citizens of the solar system make it clear that the alien race known to us as the Sun-Kissed have no intention of meeting our overtures of peaceful negotiation with anything other than contempt, said the regents, well aware that her words would be recorded and rebroadcast over and over in the years to come. She was speaking history, a kind of history they had hoped never to repeat. When all other options have failed, there is only one clear path remaining. As of today, our solar system is once again at war with the sun-kissed. Let the God of all have mercy on their souls, for we have no mercy left for them. Not this time. Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. There'll be one more chapter episode next week before we go on a mid-Musketeer hiatus with another story and then we'll return for the grand conclusion of Musketeer Space. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at TansyRR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories 
for a small monthly pledge. See you next week. Thank you.